Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance, episode number 46. Um, in this episode, I thought I'd talk a little bit about, is it actually worth the money to hire a financial advisor? Um, controversial topic, I know, but let's look at it objectively, um, and I think you may be pleasantly surprised what the end outcome might be. Um, so we'll discuss about the pros and cons of having a financial advisor, the potential cost, and some of the things you need to be wary of. Uh, now, remember, we've already tackled robo-advisors in the past, so this episode is all about personalized human advice. So, again, controversial topic, um, and, you know, without, you know, try, you know, trying to be as objective as possible, um, I've looked at the evidence uh, from Vanguard and Russell uh, Indices that have actually looked at this and tried to quantify the benefits of having a financial advisor. Now, of course, both of them have index funds and both of them do provide financial advisory services. So you could say that there is a bit of a conflict of interest, but it's probably the two best studies that I could find in the last sort of 10 years. Now, before we go into this topic in depth, let's revisit the mantra of this podcast channel. Well, first of all, I'm not a financial advisor, so I'm not trying to sell you anything, nor do I claim to be a financial planner or advisor. If you need specific financial planning or advisory service, then you should get a professional to do it for you. Whatever you do, know that this channel is all about empowering you with the knowledge to help with your personal finances, to understand some basic concepts and some advanced concepts, so you can use financial principles in your own personal financial life. The mantra of this podcast channel is based around the pay yourself concept. Try and save money at least 20% of your after-tax income. Put that money aside into investments and keep investing for the long term. I'm talking 20, 30, 40 years. Always reinvest the dividends from those investments and repeat the process. And always automate the process wherever possible such that your emotions don't get in the way of making the wrong financial decision. If you did this consistently for 20, 30 or 40 years, you're likely to end up more wealthier than you ever imagined you would be and most importantly, will have the luxury of choice when it comes to your life. You'll also be in an enviable position to help others. What good is money if you can't help the people around you? So, the main topic, is there any evidence that financial advisory services actually add value over time? I've discussed about index investing, passive investing, and trying not to stock pick, because over time, indices often outperform the majority of stock pickers and active investors. I've advocated that behaviours often hamper a, personal, um, a person's personal financial strategy. So if you can control your behaviour and emotions, you will most likely win with money. Now, before we go into the actual evidence, let's discuss the concept of a financial alpha. Because when you go to a financial advisor or a planner, that's what you're uh, you know, uh, wanting to seek. You want the financial alpha. So what is it? What is a financial alpha? Put simply, an alpha is the edge that someone provides you. 
Suppose you have a secret sauce to creating the best pasta ever. It's your mum's or grandma's recipe. It's your secret recipe that you've borrowed from them. That gives you a market edge over all of the other pastas in the market. The same applies in finances. So alpha is the measure of your edge over the market indices or the measure of excess return or active return when compared to the market average. Now, we have gone into deeply in previous episodes about efficiency and efficient market theories in the past, which states that markets are efficient and therefore in an efficient market, you're unlikely to find the undervalued company or stocks. Yet people do this all the time. They do find undervalued companies and stocks in the market and make money from it. That's their alpha. So we've already discussed beta. Beta is the overall market risk, systematic market risk. Uh, You can refer to previous podcasts where I go into this in more detail. So can alpha be a negative value? So if you have a financial edge and alpha, can it actually be a negative thing? Well, yes, it can. You can have a negative alpha, basically underperforming the market, which majority of stock pickers do anyway. So let's use an example to discuss the concept of alpha. I think you need to understand this before we go on to the benefits of financial advisory services or risks of financial advisory services, because when you go to and speak to a financial advisor, you're seeking a financial alpha. You're seeking a financial edge, and that's really important to understand. Now, the Vanguard ASX 300 shares index is likely to have an alpha of zero. This is because its main aim is to match the market returns. It's not going to underperform it. It's not going to outperform it. It just keeps it simple. It matches the returns of the market and you live life forever as a result. That's really simple. So it's got an alpha of zero. You might have a portfolio of 20 stocks, um, you know, and you compare it over the 10 years it returns about 15% on average per year, while the benchmark ASX20 index returns 10%. This means the alpha for your particular top 20 stocks is plus 5%. That is, you've returned 5 percentage points higher than the benchmark. Likewise, if your portfolio of 20 stocks only got 8% return, while the benchmark returned 10%, then your alpha is actually negative 2% over that time frame. So why is alpha relevant when considering to get financial advisor? Now let's use another specific example to highlight a potential problem you may have, particularly when you're thinking about using your financial advisor as the alpha. Suppose you have a financial advisor who charges a percent of your portfolio's value. That's their management fee. Let's call the financial advisor Jim. Okay, so if you're a real financial advisor listening to this podcast called Jim, I apologize. This is just a coincidence, so don't take it personally. Over the last 12 months, Jim has managed your portfolio and returned an alpha of 0.75%. Well, that's well and good, but Jim's fees is greater than the alpha. Therefore, overall, you might end up losing money. Remember, Jim's fees are 1% and he has generated an alpha of 0.75%. So technically, the financial advisor outperformed the market because the alpha is 0.75%, but overall, the client ended up with less money because they actually spent 0.25% in fees extra. So 1% fees for a return of 0.75% alpha. So 
Rule one of having financial advisors, be upfront about their fees, be open about their management costs and fees, and ensure there are no hidden fees. So in this case, Jim has outperformed. Let me just reiterate that because it's an important concept. Jim has outperformed the market, so the alpha is plus 0.75%. But because he's charged a percent in portfolio management fees, you've actually lost money. So having a financial advisor may not actually be beneficial to your entire portfolio and end game and end, re end returns in the long run. So that's really, really important to understand. Now, if you want to know more about fees and how they make or break your retirement um, and your wealth, listen to podcast episode six. It's one of the early episodes. Um, in my podcast channel, the first 10 episodes are probably the most basic episodes you need to listen to before you go on to the other episodes. So go back and listen to the first 10 episodes because it goes step by step and we build on the concepts from episode one to episode 10. And those are the basic things you need to know. So I talk about fees in episode number six. It goes through fees in the most basic possible terms, which makes it easy for you to understand why considering fees and not just return on investment is very, very important. So alpha is when you outperform the market. That is your secret source. That is your edge. So technically, when you're investing, if you find the alpha, then if that's positive, then you're going to make more money. Okay. Now, there is an argument against alpha. So some people argue that alpha actually doesn't exist. Financial alpha doesn't actually exist. Let's look at some of the arguments for this. Um, now, we may be getting into really geeky economic concepts here, so bear with me. I love geeky economic concepts for the people that have followed me since episode one. Now, we've talked about in previous episodes the efficient market hypotheses, which states that market prices incorporate all available information at all times, which means stocks are properly priced. That is, the market is very efficient. So therefore, technically, there is no way of finding stocks um, which were underpriced or undervalued, so you can't take advantage of mispricings because they don't physically exist. Okay, bear with me for a sec. So even if mispricings did exist, they would be vulnerable to arbitrage. Listen to episode 26 where I discuss the various types of arbitrage which means the prices tend to normalize very quickly, which makes it even harder to find mispricings. So in fact, empirical evidence comparing active fund manager returns when compared to index or passive fund returns states that fewer than 10% of active fund managers actually consistently beat the market. Hence the term, don't attempt to buy the needle in the haystack, always buy the haystack. So I'm not a financial advisor, so I might have a bit of bias in this topic, but that's what the evidence suggests. And that's why some people say that the alpha doesn't actually exist, because theoretically, the concept of the efficient market hypothesis and arbitrage and mispricings are very few and far between. So maybe there is a chance, but to be consistently getting a positive alpha return if you're a stock picker is going to be extremely difficult, in which case going to a financial advisor who's going to you know, outperform the market and give you the best financial advice consistently over 30 or 40 years is probably not going to happen. If you just stick to the market, if you just stick to the indices, you're probably going to do just as well, if not better, over the long term. Now, if you're really interested in these sort of things, there's a really fantastic documentary on YouTube. I think it's UK-based which is called Passive Investing the Evidence. If you just YouTube it, it goes through this concepts very, very nicely indeed. Now, 
there are loads of financial advisors around, right? Because, I mean, if really alpha doesn't exist and if financial advisors are all useless and they don't make any money for you and they're actually costing you more money, etc., you know, there's loads of financial advisors around. So they must exist because they must be providing some sort of a service which is relatively useful, right? You know? Um, now, Vanguard actually studied this and they tried to quant- quantify this um, and quantify the advantage of a financial advisory service. And um, they came up with a figure of 3.75%. Um, that is the financial alpha um, when they did a bit of a study uh, according to this. Now, remember, this is a US-based study. Um, and uh, so technically, you know, you can call this the alpha of the financial advisor. Now, of course, it's generalized on average and not specific to all financial advisors. But Vanguard studied this and they said, look, if you have a financial advisor, your financial alpha is around 3.75% on your portfolio, if that makes any sense. So what are some of the areas where a financial advisor will add value according to the Vanguard study and the Russell study. I also compare the figures from the Russell study. So let's break it down. Point one, behavioral coaching. They help investors and stavers stick to a discipline. Uh, The aim of the personal finance is not to make mistakes. So they reduce the risk of making mistakes. So a financial advisor might help with this. And the estimated alpha value of this from the Vanguard study is 1.5%. From the Russell study, it's about 2%. Now, point two, asset allocation. Now, it's a topic I've discussed briefly in previous podcast episodes, but making sure you allocate assets according to your personal risk profile and investment returns is important. And the estimated alpha value from the Vanguard study is 0.75%. Point number three, the cost effectiveness of investments. For example, I've recently had a fair few Facebook messages about superannuation, and many people are using retail funds. Now, my thing is always use an industry super fund. It's just madness to use retail funds because they just cost so much money in terms of fees because fees are killers of wealth, and and retail funds often charge more and underperform as well. So that's a double whammy. So the estimated value of cost effectiveness Uh, from a financial advisor, according to the Vanguard study, is 0.45%. That's the alpha positive. And the Russell study found that it's 0.33%. So that's how much value add they provide when it comes to cost effectiveness of your investments. Uh, Point number four, account rebalancing. Over time, depending on the asset allocation, their performance, etc., the accounts and assets need to be rebalanced, and this can be done every year or so. Now, the estimated value add is around 0.35%, according to the Vanguard study. The Russell study found it was about 0.2%. And the drawdown strategies, how to spend your wealth. Now, it sounds surprising. Now, I would have thought a financial advisor will advise on investments and savings, etc. But they're also important in advising on how to spend your money once you've accumulated it. And we've talked about sequence of returns risks in the past. We've talked about the 4% rule, etc. in previous podcasts. Um, You know, if you haven't listened to those episodes, go have a listen. But the value add here of drawdown strategies from the Vanguard study is 0.7%. From the Russell study, it's about 0.75% in value add for planning finances. So these are some of the bare minimum functions that a financial advisor should provide anyway. And each of those functions value adds, according to the Vanguard study, about 3.75%. And the Russell Index is very similar. Uh, And these are some of the questions you should be asking them anyway. So let's get on to, um, so, you know, we've sort of established that, uh, yes, uh, there is such a thing as financial alpha. There is an argument against it, you know, uh, for better or worse. 
the studies that have done uh, for people that have used financial advice, the financial alpha is around 35 to 3.75%. This is a US-based study, so you can probably extrapolate that to the Australian economy. Um, we haven't, I couldn't actually find any evidence or studies that was done locally in Australia. Um, I did try very hard. Maybe, maybe if you've got any references, I'd be very interested to find out. Maybe Facebook me or ping me on CastBox. But uh, we've established that, you know, yes, there is a bit of a financial alpha to having financial advisory service. Now, remember, the studies didn't really go into the cost of some of this financial advisory services, okay? So because each financial advisory service is different cost structure, so it's very difficult to have to analyze every single financial advisory service. So when you look at an alpha of 3.75%, you need to take into account that that's before costs, okay? So you need to go through and work out what the cost of your financial advisory service is going to be before sort of assuming that you're going to get that 3.5% on average or 3.75% on average, I beg your pardon, uh, just by using a financial advisory service. Now, the next topic or subtopic within the financial advisory topic is what should you do before signing up for financial advice? So what sort of things that you need to do? What sort of questions you might want to ask, okay? First of all, you need to do an internet search, okay? So... In today's world, if you're doing anything in finances, you need to Google it. The power of Google is immense, you know, the Google reviews and, you know, like when you think about when you book a holiday or when you buy a car, the first thing you do is Google it, you know, that that's the first thing that you do. Uh, hell, I Google when I buy a TV, I buy a piece of furniture, uh, when I, you know, Google plane tickets or hotels or whatever. I look at the reviews. It's really important that if you're going to go with financial advice, you need to do some background research on the people that you're going to be picking for, you know, potentially deciding your future wealth. Point number two, checking with relevant certification boards. Now, remember, this this podcast is very Australian-focused, so for your overseas listeners, I'm going to be speaking about Australian certification processes and boards. Make sure the financial advisor is actually qualified. You know, sounds pretty... Uh, you know, pretty basic, but, uh, you know, you're not going to be getting financial advice, you know, from some random uh, uh, random doctor on CastBox, are you? You know, that's why I say that I'm not a financial advisor. This is all about, you know, trying to help you manage your finances, but I don't know your personal situation. So make sure the financial advisor is actually qualified. Uh, there is an association of financial planners and financial advisors uh, in Australia. Check the register, check the qualifications, their experience, their employment history, ask them. You know, do an interview, um, ask them about the type of products they have access to, are they members of any professional bodies. So, you know, to give you an example, if you're a doctor, you need to be registered with APRA, which is the Australian Health Practitioners Regulation Authority. Uh, and if you're a surgeon on top of that, for example, you need to be registered with APRA and the College of Surgeons. So you can't just randomly call yourself a surgeon. You know, you have to actually have qualifications to do it. The same applies in financial services as well, particularly since the Royal Commission last year, where they basically found that a lot of these people were giving financial advice who weren't actually qualified to do so. Um, and make sure you check, um, you know, any disciplinary action in the past, Okay. So you can actually ask them, uh, you know, and you can actually check with the potential um, certification boards to see if they've been disciplined in the past. And again, if you're a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, you can go to the board and sort of check whether a doctor has been disciplined. Uh, you can actually do it. It's actually public information, okay? So the last thing you want to do is go to a doctor that's not qualified or has significant disciplinary actions, uh, you know, 
because you know that that's in the public interest okay Point number three, you read their financial services guide, okay? What services they offer, how they charge fees. You know, fees is really, really important. We've talked about it in the past, and I drum on about fees. You know, for example, do they charge on commissions on products they advise, or is it a portfolio management fee, or is it a per hourly rate? You know, generally speaking, a per hourly rate is best because it makes it that much more independent. You know, if I'm getting commissions from a particular financial, you know, uh, product that I'm selling, then I'm more likely to sell that product based on the commissions that I received as opposed to if I'm just getting an hourly rate, okay? So again, using a medical example, in Australia, I can't prescribe you medications and then put out my hand to the pharmaceutical industry and say, hey, I want you to pay me because I've now prescribed your, you know, diabetic pill or whatever it is, right? That's illegal. You know, there's clear guidelines in health regulations uh, about that. So same with the financial industry in the past where they could actually, you know, get paid based on commissions, based on what they actually sell to you. So again, you don't want to be, you know, going to someone who potentially does that because, you know, yeah, they can be fair and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, the chances are they're going to be selling products that are going to be paying them the higher commissions because that's what an average person would do. And financial advisory service people are not, you know, saints. Okay. Um, most important of all, they must meet your requirements, which means you need to have a game plan. The game plan is, you know, hey, Mr. Financial Advisor or Ms. Financial Advisor, I want you to make me rich. That's not the game plan. That is obvious, right? The game plan is, what is your risk profile? What are your family circumstances or personal circumstances? When do you want to access the money? What is your asset allocation preference? What is your drawdown preference? And how much fees are you willing to pay for the services you get? Okay. Now, lastly, but not least, beware of one-stop shop kind of advice. Okay. Some financial advisors try to provide a one-stop shop, and I think this is a red flag. Okay. For example, a financial advisor may say, you know, they want to set up a self-managed super fund, so they may actually then recommend buying property using it by setting up a self-managed super fund. Now, for all your doctors listening out there, listen up, because I know a lot of you might have been in this situation. But then they then refer you to a property developer, okay, who happens to sell and build properties. So that's great because then you can buy property off them. And then uh, they recommend buying property uh, from that person. And then there's an accountant um, and a lawyer to sort out the conveyancing. See how this plays out here. So you started off with a financial advisor, then you end up with a property developer, then you end up with an accountant, then you end up with a lawyer to sort out the conveyancing. Now, again, this can work, but most of the time, or some of the time at least, it puts you, the client, at risk of using services which are conflicted. Okay, that's what I mean by one-stop service. So you go to one person, it goes to another person, it goes to another person, and it turns out they're all linked up with each other, and they're all providing kickbacks to each other, okay? So again, using a medical example, okay? You go see a GP, and the GP diagnoses you with a hernia, and the GP has to, you know, refer you to a surgeon. Okay, now most patients don't know all the surgeons that are out there. They do their Google reviews and all that sort of stuff. And the GP refers you to a particular surgeon, right? Now, the surgeon then can't turn around and provide a kickback to the GP. That's illegal. In Australia, that's illegal. It doesn't happen and it shouldn't happen. And that's completely the way it should be because... You don't want your doctor or nurse or health professional to be conflicted when they're providing you with critical, potentially life-saving uh, life information, right? 
So you kind of need to have that sort of trust with your financial advisor. So beware of one-stop shops. So the important question is, what is the pre-existing relationship between the financial advisor, the property developer, the lawyer, and the accountant? You know, now the Financial Services Review and Royal Commission have addressed such issues, okay? Now, coming back to fees, there are specific questions that you need to ask about fees if you are considering a financial advisor, okay? What are the fees for preparation of the advice? What are the fees for implementing the advice? And what are the fees for ongoing monitoring and uh, ongoing provision of, the, of that advice, okay? And is the fees annual? Is it monthly? Is it weekly? Is it hourly? Is it portfolio percentage of value or commissions based on returns? Uh, the Royal Commission identified a number of customers who are not receiving any ongoing financial advice to be charging ongoing advice fees. Now, if you Google it for more information, it, it's actually a very fascinating read from ASIC. Um, and the next thing you need to do is if you have investments or super outside of super, uh, etc., uh, check for ongoing advice fees. So if being charged, make sure you're actually getting the advice uh, appropriately. Otherwise, you may be eligible for a refund with bonus dividends given the opportunity cost. So what I want you to do is if you're investing at the moment, if you have super investments or whatever, go and check if you've been charged ongoing advice fees. And if you Google this process, there's a huge article about it from ASIC where basically financial organisations were charging millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars to Australians through super or outside super investments for ongoing advice fees actually not providing advice. Okay, so that's the first thing you need to do after this podcast channel. Okay, go check. Um, You've got to ask them also, what is the dispute process? Okay, so what happens if you dispute the fees? Does the financial advisor have a specific system in place where there is a process which can be followed? All right. Now, there are some red flags uh, when it comes to financial advice. And we've talked about it already in terms of fees and all that sort of stuff, okay, and one-stop shops. Lawyers providing financial advice and life insurance agents or salespeople providing financial advice. So you might have gone to get some life insurance and you might have noticed that some of these life insurance agencies are actually providing financial advice and they're actually not authorized to do so. I think it is within your right to ask them whether they're certified financial planners or advisors and if they're not, then just keep their mouth shut. Just talk about life insurance or whatever insurance you want to purchase. So, for example... Uh, why is that very relevant? Um, so if you use the lawyer example in Australia, if a lawyer provides legal advice and you pay for it, it is actually protected by the Fidelity Fund, basically a legal fund set up by the Law Society such that if you suffer losses as a result of bad or incorrect or negligent legal advice, you can claim for compensation and they use this fund kind of like an insurance scheme. Okay, so it's called the Fidelity Fund. Google it. It's really important to know about Guess what? If you get investment or financial advice from a lawyer who is not actually a certified financial advisor or planner, you are not protected at all. So you can lose your fees and you can lose your investment money and you can't go to the Fidelity Fund and say, hey, look, my lawyer provided me with financial advice. Uh, can I please have some compensation because it was negligent? You can't do that. All right. So, you know, in my state, uh, which is Victoria, the great state of Victoria. I'm a Melbourneian. Um, the Victorian Legal Commission is the body to complain to if your lawyer acts against their scope of practice. Okay? So to use an analogy, if you go see a liver surgeon and they're providing you specific advice about your diabetes, you know, changing your medications and blah, 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 all that sort of stuff, well, take it with a grain of salt. There really shouldn't be because that's the territory of the general practitioner or the endocrinologist who specializes in that field. Okay, And just like a brain surgeon providing advice on how to repair a hernia 
in the groin. Now, it's not going to happen, and it shouldn't happen. Uh, they may advise you to go see a hernia surgeon, but they can't actually advise you on the techniques on repairing a hernia because that's not their field of expertise, okay? So these are all uh, really important to understand. And the same principles and concepts apply when you're you know, getting advice uh, when it comes to your finances, okay? It's not fair game. Now, make sure that you trust your financial advisor. They have your best interest at heart. And this is why commissions-based financial advice, in my humble opinion, can lead to dodgy advice because they could be choosing uh, particular products and services based on the amount and the number of commissions they obtain from those companies that sell those products and services. Okay? So that's episode number 46. It's all about financial advisory services, the financial alpha. So let's summarize it. We discussed about the alpha, what it means, does it actually exist, and some arguments against its non-existence. Number two, we discussed about financial advisors. What's their alpha? Is there a quantifiable alpha for financial advisors? And it turns out the two big studies that were done in the United States, yes, there is a quantifiable alpha. Point number three, out of the alpha for financial advisors, we discussed and broke it down according to the two main studies conducted by the Vanguard and Russell Indices, both large index investment companies. Number four, we discussed the pros of financial advice and some of the red flags with particular references to fees to be aware of. Uh, and lastly, we discussed how some lawyers and accountants and life insurance agents tend to offer financial advice and they're actually not certified financial advisors. So be careful, ask questions and beware of those one-stop shops. Now, financial advisory services in general can be beneficial, but you need to work it out for yourself uh, to make sure that it's useful for you. You know, like, like all things in life, not all car salesmen are cheats. Uh, not all financial advisory services are bad. There are some good people out there. And the best way to explain it is that if you can pick someone that you know and trust, who knows your personal situation, and most importantly, who teaches you. Okay, so the whole point of getting financial advice is not letting them do all the work. You need to learn about financial advice um, so that you know the basic concepts, so that you know the basic principles. And hopefully this podcast channel has helped you learn those basic principles so you're more aware of these things and you're more prepared when you go and you know meet with your financial advisor. You know, Tell me about the fees. Tell me how you make money and tell me what are the services that you offer and what products you offer, et cetera, et cetera. What is my personal view on financial advisory services? Uh, look, I don't have a personal financial advisor. You know, I'm not a gazillionaire that I need a personal financial advisor. You know, from my sort of research, what I have understood is that to keep it simple is the way to go, to save money, to pay yourself first, to invest, to reinvest dividends, and to automate the process. Those are the four to five steps that I follow. I've been doing it for the last 10 years. And what I have noticed is that simple things matter. Uh, what I've noticed is keeping costs down matter. What I've noticed is consistency matters. And what I've noticed is not letting your emotions get in the way matters. And if you do all those things right, if you do it over 30, 40, 50 years, then you're likely to end up with more money than you can ever imagined it to be. And most importantly, with that, it gives you some personal choice and you can help people that you love um, and you care for in the future. So, that's about it. This is episode 46, uh, well into the new financial year. So, uh, And it's also tax time. So uh, perhaps I need to do an episode about tax, something I've been thinking about. But again, I'm not an accountant, so maybe some of the basic principles might do. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to the podcast episode and subscribing to my channel. It's been an absolute blast. 
And thank you all the people that have SMSed and Facebooked me about some of the questions, um, uh, more about financial concepts and about personal questions about their own financial situation. So um, till next time, uh, make sure you do some research about financial advice and make sure you pay yourself first, reinvest those dividends, invest that money and automate the process um, and thank you very much for listening. Until next time, this is Dev Raga, Personal Finance, episode number 46. Stay safe. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.